0: Hello, and welcome back. Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing starts now. Here's why you should watch today's show. FTX will reimburse phishing attack victims to the tune of $6 million. We'll discuss why, what happened and why it matters to you. Plus, Joe Chow from Millennial Capital is with us to share his insights on the current state of markets. Stay tuned for that. I'm Nico Bruga. Ash Bennington is with me as always. How's it going, Ash?
1: I'm doing all right, maybe a little sick. So if I start sneezing or coughing, I hope I can hit the mute button at time.
0: Well, That's the goal for the show. I I appreciate, Ash, you still uh, rallying and joining us today. (laughs) I also like to call out, we are the Beanie Bros today. Uh, We might start this as part of our Monday tradition, Ash. So um, let's see how it goes. But in the meantime... Don't forget to subscribe to Real Vision Crypto. It's free. If you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe and hit the notification bell so we don't so you don't miss when we go live. And now a word from Rao. Things are tough out there. So to stay true to our mission here at Real Vision to help investors, we have just reduced the price of a subscription to Real Vision Essential to $99. And that's not all. Subscription to the plus tier is just $400 until the end of October. Don't miss these promotion, folks. All right, with that said, I've done my due diligence to spread the word. Let's jump right into the latest price action. The price of Bitcoin remains in a tight range. It's currently hovering around a price point of $19,300, which is relatively unchanged over the last seven days, up about 0.5%. We have a busy earnings week ahead of us, so maybe we'll see volatility this week if we get bad news. But for now, it looks like more sideways price action. How about you, Ash? What are you looking at?
1: uh Well, Nico, I'm looking at Ethereum right now, and it's pretty much the same story. The price of ETH is fluctuating pretty much sideways, trading in a narrow range between 1,200 uh, and the upper 1,300s for the last seven days. On a trailing 24-hour basis, it looks like it's up uh, just a shade under 2% right now, Nico.
0: Thank you for that, Ash. I'm also keeping an eye on two more tokens as we're covering them in our stories today. The first is FWT, Freeway's native token. It's down roughly 73% in the last 24 hours after the Freeway news, which we'll cover later today. And we're also looking at FTT, the native token of the cryptocurrency exchange FTX. It's down between 3% to 4% in the last week, which brings us to our top story today. FTX plans to compensate account holders affected by a phishing attack occurring on a third party website. Sam Bankman Fried, the company's CEO, announced the update via Twitter, adding that the digital asset exchange will provide roughly $6 million in compensation. Even though FTX had nothing to do with the phishing site, Sam also made it clear that this is a one-time thing. This compensation does not establish a precedent and that they will not be doing this going forward. Tell me, Ash, what do you think about this story? Lots to unpack here, obviously.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm really not a hundred percent sure what to think about it. You know. Big picture, the single most important thing to understand about these digital asset transactions is they are irrevocable. There's something called transaction finality. Once the transaction uh, has been written to the chain, it is irrevocable. It can't be backed out. In most cases, there are some exceptions. Uh, but you know what's interesting here is uh, Sam is proposing something called the five-five standard. That is, uh, when there are are uh, basically funds uh, that are stolen in an attack or a hack, five uh, percent of the funds that are taken, uh, or $5 million, whichever is less, can go uh, in Sam's proposal to the the person who is able to remove uh, the tokens or the liquidity or take the funds. Um, and uh, the idea here is that that serves as kind of a, like a bug bounty. Uh, you know, to me this is this is really interesting because it's a it's a pretty radical departure, I think, from what we see in in traditional finance. I I don't think, for example, you're going to hear Jamie Dimon uh, come out with a similar proposal for uh, funds that have been stolen from uh, from uh, JP Morgan. So. The nature of the structure of the way this works, because of this in sort of intense transaction finality, uh, necessitates a, a kind of a, a different paradigm here. And, and it's it's interesting to me uh, to see uh, this proposal coming forward uh, from Sam Bankman-Fried. You know, the the devil is in the details, and and we'll have to see. By the way, the, and I think you can take a look at the there's uh, there's a there's an image uh, somewhere uh, of Sam saying basically that if the uh, if this does uh, if it gets sent back. Uh, to the, to um, to FTX, uh, we will quote absolve them. Now, I I don't really know uh, whether or not, and in, in, I'm not an attorney, but I'm not certain that uh, that, for example, Sam Bankman-Fried has the ability to absolve people who who commit a crime. Uh, so you know, th- this is this is all very new. Uh, it's it's very interesting as a proposal, but I think it's 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 going to take some time before we're actually able to figure out what the implications of this are and whether or not, for example, law enforcement would agree to those terms. So there's a lot here to unpack, a lot to think about. Very early, I think it's interesting that he's put this proposal forth, and and we'll have to see how it shakes out. Nico,
0: thank you for that. Ash, definitely lots to unpack. Definitely still the wild, wild west for the crypto uh, world at the moment. So we'll see how this unfolds. But speaking of Sam Bankman-free, just last week, you might remember Sam tweeted his thoughts on crypto regulation, including a proposal on industry standards for the digital asset industry. Well, he wasn't expecting what happened next. Many members of the crypto community expressed concerns about the plans he laid out. So, FBF, SBF took to Twitter to address the backlash. In his retrospective, he thanked everyone that gave him constructive feedback, Particularly those who highlighted the core ethos of crypto, economic freedom. Tell me, Ash, what do you th- make of this pushback from the community and SBF's response?
1: Well, you know, there are a lot of elements to this proposal. There are aspects that concern the 5-5 standard that we were talking about earlier. I sort of pointed out that, you know, when when there is a theft, for example, if someone breaks into your home and steals something, uh, you may not always have the ability to convince the authorities not to press charges. These are sort of an that's sort of an ongoing legal framework in question. Uh, but there are other components here that I think are important to highlight. Uh, the, one of the things that Sam Bankman-Free discusses in the proposal uh, is the question about, what SEC considers to be a security and not a security. but What garners the most criticism here uh, is the component that Sam Bankman-Free talks about uh, with regard to OFAC compliance. That's the Office of Foreign Asset Controls uh, at the US Department of Treasury. This is the regulator that enforces uh, foreign sanction regimes against foreign nationals, foreign states, uh, and foreign special designated entities. Uh, Among the prominent critics here, of Sam bankman frieds proposal uh, is Eric Voorhees, the founder of Shapeshift. Uh, He wrote to SBF, and I'm just going to quote this here, you can advocate effective altruism or you can advocate banning 80 million innocent Iranians from the future of global finance. You cannot do both. You can't do both. Uh, Glorifying OFAC in proposed crypto industry standards is a non-starter in uh, in bold there, Uh, set off with asterisks. The disagreement between Voorhees and SBF extends beyond OFAC, Voorhees Published an extensive blog post titled "Quote: A Response to SBF's Principled Crypto Regulation," where he deconstruction responds to each of Sam's specific suggestions, including blacklists, hacks, asset listings, and DeFi, among others. Another prominent critic of SBF was Ryan Sean Adams, uh, who viewers might recognize from the Bankless podcast. His critique uh, of Sam's suggests that that adding "Quote: This would eliminate the U.S. from the crypto race." You know this is really an interesting moment for me. It's something that I've been talking about for for months on this show, this idea of the irresistible force slamming into uh, the immovable object. You know it, it's not you know my my role to advocate for one position over another. and i'm I'm trying to just describe uh, what I see happening here and what I think might happen next, to just describe this in an objective and neutral way. You know, to my mind, what we're seeing is this collision uh, between the core ethos that Sam uh, Bankman-Fried alluded to uh, in his speech, uh, rather in his remarks that were uh, that were published. Uh, this idea of credible neutrality and censorship resistance; these are two ideas that are very uh, important in the Ethereum space, and what may be a collision course, maybe a collision course with 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 federal law. Um, there's a line in the sand here uh, that Sam Bankman-Fried can't cross. And if he crosses that line, uh, people aren't going to just say mean things about him on Twitter. If he violates u s. federal law, uh, he's going to wind up in handcuffs and in a prison cell. And I think he's very aware of that. Um, you know, Sam is one of the wealthiest people in the world, uh, presumably has excellent lawyers advising him. Uh, and the the reality is that, you know, I, look, I've been watching regulators, uh, legislators, courts for a while. I'm an amateur at this. I'm not a lawyer. I've never worked for a regulator. I've never lived in Washington, DC, but I think it's very possible possible that we're going to see a significant difference uh, in the ways that regulators look at, for example, uh, SEC um, civil compliance to whether something is or is not a security versus we've seen what, what I would call regulatory forbearance there. We haven't seen uh, as much enforcement on that front as might be possible if regulators were inclined to do so. I think it may be very different uh, to see these um, these OFAC sanctions being enforced. Look, Sam is a, a US person, he's a US citizen. Um, he has a, a company that has a, a, a an arm operating here in the United States. He's very much subject to federal laws. And if he were to uh, if he were to permit uh, OFAC sanctioned nations to essentially uh, transact at scale uh, with these cryptocurrencies, essentially moving money, I, I think there's a fairly substantial. And I, I, when I say he could wind up in a jail cell, I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think he's going to do that. I don't think he can do that. I think that he knows uh, that his. He is significantly, um, his his actions are restricted by US federal law. And I know that there are people who are upset by that. There are people who don't like that circumstance. But I think that's just a sort of neutral objective description of the way that the laws are written, uh, and the obligations that S- Sam and Fried and other CEOs have uh, to abide by those laws. So. This really is this 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 collision course between the the world that U.S. federal law describes on the one hand, and the ideals of cryptocurrency on the other. And this is this to me is the big story of twenty twenty two, of twenty twenty three, and probably twenty twenty four as we sort through uh, all of these complexities. Nico,
0: absolutely, very well said, Ash, and thank you for that remarkable breakdown. So, on to our last story of the day. Freeway is suspending services, including other withdrawals, because of unprecedented volatility. The Seychelles registered crypto platform announced the update on Sunday. And since Freeway's announcement, its token FWT has dropped roughly 80%. Now, it's important to note Freeway was a relatively unknown project, and it had a small market cap of less than $70 million before its token crashed. However, its market cap is now sitting around $10 million dollars still it's never a good feeling to hear news of halted withdraws especially after everything we experienced with celsius and voyager tell me ash what do we know what more do we know about this story
1: well what we know is that we've seen this movie before uh, or we've seen a movie that looks a lot like it before uh cefi uh, or DeFi, CFI hybrids that look a lot more like CFI, offering massive yields. You know, a situation like this once again calls into question whether or not that model works. Freeway is a startup platform. Users can stake uh, crypto or fiat and buy these, quote, supercharger, close quote, products, which emulate crypto and fiat currencies. Uh, Freeway claims its ecosystem contains $161 million worth of superchargers, and these products can earn an annual yield of up to 43%. 43%. Uh, according to reporting by Decrypt. However, as you mentioned, Nico, due to volatility in crypto and foreign exchange markets, Freeway is halting services until further notice, including the ability to sell back these superchargers. The announcement states that Freeway plans to, quote, diversify its asset base to manage exposure to future market fluctuations and volatility, and that it will, quote, will be allocating capital to its underlying portfolio, close quote, meaning they will not buy back superchargers until, quote, uh, new strategies are implemented, close quote, with no clear time horizon as to when the services and buybacks will resume. So users are taking a telegram here uh, to express their frustration. One user wrote, 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 quote, freeway collapse. And I'm just wondering if I will still manage to be one of the last to withdraw. People here are still in denial that they lost everything and should face it straight away. Freeway's Telegram representative simply told users that they did not know if they could withdraw funds and advised them to submit support tickets. More facts, of course, are going to come out on this story. Uh, This sure sounds a lot like things we've seen before, whether we're talking about Celsius or CoinFlex or Voyager. It's always dangerous to make assumptions, Uh, obviously, that things are going to be the same, but it does sound very similar. It rhymes. Uh, The token is getting just absolutely blown out of the water right now now. Uh, it trades under the symbol FWT, currently trading at, looks like it's trading at about 0.0013, so that's uh, whatever that is, a thousandth uh, of a cent, basically. It's it's off more than 90% from its, uh, from its 2021 high. The old ERC token uh, has been apparently deprecated. Uh, you can see this on the tweet that we're looking at here, uh, and it says, This also means you can now disregard your old token. So obviously there's a lot that's happening with this story right now, Nico. Thank you for
0: that, Ash.
2: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: Now on to our main segment. Let's bring on our guest, Joe Chow, partner at Millennia Capital. He and Ash are going to dig into the current state of markets. Joe, welcome. I'm going to hop off. I'll see you guys in a bit at the end of your interview for some key takeaways. Otherwise, Ash, on to you.
1: Joe, welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning. So Good I know morning. I know you're listening in uh, on all of that. Obviously quite a lot happening. What's your take on where we are right now, the current state of play uh, between this sort of nexus of digital assets uh, and regulatory Frameworks. I should say, by the way, uh, as for folks who have uh, seen you on the show before, uh, and maybe those who haven't, you, of course, worked at the Fed, uh, so you were very much involved in the regulatory framework of the way uh, financial services in the United States gets
2: regulated. Yeah, we're definitely at a very interesting point. Um, you know, I can't think of a more um, brain-exhausting moment in the sort of the macro world since yeah. probably the Great Financial Crisis. Uh, and when we came out of it, there was Dodd-Frank being passed. And uh, there was actually a, a lot of um, cross-currents between uh, kind of monetary policy and Dodd-Frank that kind of introduced kind of uh, conflicting signals to the financial system. In Joe, Joe for people uh, who aren't familiar with Dodd-Frank, give us a little bit of an explainer on that. Yeah, so basically what happened 10 years ago in uh, uh, 2012, 13, 14 was after we had the crisis, the Fed was doing QE and lowering rates to stimulate the economy. The way the Fed stimulates the economy was to, to let the policy and the, and, the, and the capital go through the banking system, right? So then you, you, you inject liquidity into the system to boost the banking system, to boost the rest of these sectors and, and economies. At the same time, Dodd Frank, that was passed by Congress and kind of where the Treasury Department and other agencies were working on, we're trying to control or better control and better regulate the banks. So you had to, on one hand the Fed trying to imagine like the banking system as like the bloodline. You're pumping new blood into the system to the, to rejuvenate the um the, the bodily functions, and then you had another force that came in that was trying to tie up the bloodline to make it more you know protected. So so in in numerous cases in 2013. Um, as I, um, you know, work on those kind of programs, and, and I recall um, the regulatory environment was making it more difficult for financial systems to transact, while the Fed was pumping QE and liquidity to make the system run faster. And so those two forces came into contact, and I kind of see a parallel between what you know, what's happening today, where you know you have the regulatory uncertainty or uh, the, the, the progress we're making in. Regulating digital assets in crypto and et cetera. At the same time, it's also a very uh, very certain macro environment where digital right. assets are you know, very volatile.
1: Well, it's very well described as you talk about what you saw happening in the global financial crisis. But what exactly is that parallel that you see here between that time period and where we are right now?
2: So it's it's, it's definitely i mean it's a, it's a different um, it's a different patient. Uh, if you if you analogize, uh, the Fed being like the doctor, the, the economy, the markets being the patient. It's a very different setting. Um, um, what I was saying uh, that what I'll say that's uh, similar between now and then is you had uh, fiscal policy and regulatory policy and monetary policy all working at once, and whichever one of these policies has a stronger impact on the markets and the economy is is sort of, uh, if you will, leading the show. <clears throat> So I'll give you an example. Back you know, in the prior cycle, uh, monetary policy was stimul- trying to stimulate the economy. Fiscal policy wasn't because we had the, the divided of House and Senate and the Obama administration, but you know, it was the, the Republicans that kind of took that had the House and the Senate. Um, and so fiscal policy wasn't acting. Monetary policy alone was trying to stimulate the economy. And so monetary policy didn't go to its full effect because fiscal policy wasn't really working. Uh, regulatory policy regulatory policy was kind of working against uh what well, in some ways monetary policy today in 2022 and 2021 what happened was fiscal policy actually worked hand in hand with monetary policy because while the fed was doing qe qe and lowering rates we also had huge spending bills coming out of uh, uh, the Biden administration right so you have when you have the fiscal and the monetary policy working at once you saw how powerful things became that, i think that was one of the main factors that led to what what we have in the in inflation problem is when you were doing qe and lowering rates and the fiscal policy was spending so much money you got two forces coming at once and that's why the u.s economy was in such a big like sort of a right. uh, there was some, a lot of aggregate demand and, um, and so regulatory policy right now in at least for digital assets is it's a work in progress um, so all these sort of the three forces that are working and creating a lot of different implications is kind of you know, it's it's introducing a lot of, I think, complexity and and, um, balances, uh, imbalances in, in the marketplace.
1: Roger, let me give you the TLDR of what you just said here, and you tell me if this is roughly correct. For people who are relatively new to this space, uh, who may have never heard a former Fed employee uh, speak about the way that this system works, the first, I think, important point for people to understand uh, is that free markets are very much embedded uh, within the framework of monetary policy on the one hand uh, and fiscal policy on the other that controls the amount of liquidity uh, that is flowing into the system. Uh, and the second point that I... I sort of heard you frame there is this idea that we are currently at a moment of, of almost maximal regulatory uh, um, confusion or maximal regulatory conflict, uh, and that has a, a sort of a headwind effect on the space. Is that is that
2: roughly correct? That is roughly, that's, that's roughly correct. That um, it's a free market underpinned by balances and boundaries, right? Um, um, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, the Fed was created in 1913 because at that time uh, in the 1800s, there was a few financial crises, of uh, banking panics because there were so many different central banks and currencies. And when you had a lot of different currencies uh, that were playing uh, all at once, sometimes when the system went, went, went down south, there was no central backer. And that was a reason that Fed was created in 1913 to be sort of the the central kind of the, back, the backup to the financial system. And so that's, um and so there's even though it's a free market, there's a lot of check and balances and a lot of um, uh, major cops, major actors at play, the Fed being one of the most prominent ones, but also fiscal policy, also regulatory policy. And um, the unfortunately the three different cops, let's let's analogize it this way. You got the FBI, the CIA, the state police, the you know, city police, etc. et cetera, right? There's a different regulatory oversight bodies here at stake. And, 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 and so let's say we live in a free town, we're driving, we're eating, but there's different authorities. There's a city, the state, um, right? The FBI, the CIA, whatever, what, what have you. And sometimes not all these authorities are synced. And when they're, when they're out of sync, but trying to solve the problem all at once, sometimes there's, you know, uh, incoordination, right? Right. Um, So I think that's kind of what describes a bit of what we're seeing today is now besides the inflation problem, besides the, you know, the war in Europe and et cetera, there's also the forces here at play, which we're seeing a little bit of inconsistency amongst the regulatory bodies. Yeah,
1: and I think it's important for people to understand uh, that this is just the way that the system functions today. I know that my libertarian friends would like to see uh, probably a Taylor rule uh, setting uh, monetary policy. This is a sort of a mechanistic calculation about what the optimal rate uh, of the federal funds rate should be, and they'd prefer to see uh, Federal Express delivering the mail. But the reality is that the system that you described is the system that we find ourselves in today, and it's important to understand the status quo so that people can understand and make decisions uh, based on where we are today. I know I'm asking you to speculate here a little bit outside of your area of expertise, but I I think it's such an important point. We were talking about it earlier in the show, Ah, uh, this idea of OFAC compliance, and I, I didn't sort of mean to to sort of sound hyperbolic there. Um, I don't think Sam Bankman-Fried is going to get arrested. I don't think he's going to c- going to commit a crime. I don't think he. I think the point to make here is that he doesn't have that option because uh, anyone in his position would very likely have lawyers telling him you simply cannot do business uh, in countries where the United States uh, has OFAC sanctions in place. It's just a, it's just a total non-option. It's a total non-starter. Uh, And and so what we're seeing is this this collision of ideology uh, between people in the community who believe in censorship resistance. If you go up to the Ethereum Foundation website and command F for the phrase censorship resistance, you'll see that uh, appear a number of times on the first page. Credible neutrality is another phase that's very important in this space. But we're in this situation where you have a a US person who's running uh, a very large corporation, and they simply do not have the ability to transact there, and then they're being criticized by other people in the space for not doing it. It just seems like what we're seeing here is a, a collision of different value systems uh, and a collision of, of what is possible uh, for people in a position who are running these co- companies. How do you think about this? How do you even begin to get your head around? This is probably the the single biggest
2: philosophical collision I've I've ever seen in crypto. Yeah, well, I uh, I I I need to you know do my studies on exactly what were the details of this sort of uh this um this, this story. Uh, but, but from what I've heard so far, um, uh, both before the show and on the show, it's um, uh, OFAC is sort of an agency within the U.S. government that looks for, that really has, that really was created to um, to help the U.S. government to better monitor uh, uh, financial assets of uh, hostile actors. I think a lot of it that came out of the 9-11. Um, so I think that's sort of the primary um, Objective is actually not like it's, it's actually controlling assets for military and you know, and conflicts and, and, right. and those kind of purposes. So, in that logic, uh, I'm sure what's, hap- what's happening with this, with this story might touch on OFAC. Uh, but the other way you have to think about it is there are staffers that work inside the buildings in, in Washington who have to prioritize a lot of cases. And I'll just tell you one thing that I've walked past that office in the building before. Um, and I know where they are in the building. I know how many people work there. Um, and I'll tell you that I'm sure that there's you know a lot of people that work for those agencies and, and et cetera. but um, but the primary function of the office is to really to sort of track um, you know terrorists and groups like that. Um, and so when it comes to this type of cases, if it's high profile, it might get on the radar. Uh, but I, but I think that for me logically, I think the primary function that office is actually to control as foreign assets for, for of terrorist groups.
1: Well, if a CEO, any CEO of any large U.S. Uh, domiciled uh, crypto exchange. A U.S. person were to announce on Twitter that they were going to disregard OFAC sanctions, there'd be some serious problems that would arise from that. I mean, we we saw we saw developers uh, sentenced recently to sixty-three months in prison for visiting a a country uh, that was on the OFAC sanctions list. I mean, this is very serious stuff, and I, I suspect. And again, this is this is where you have to kind of attempt to look into the future, which is always difficult, right? Because it it necessarily involves yeah. speculation. But this is something that that is that the United States government seems to hold uh, very high on its list of priorities in terms of national security, the ability to enforce dollar-denominated sanctions regimes, and it's just hard to imagine uh, how anyone running a crypto exchange—it seems to me, frankly, impossible uh, that they would disregard these uh, these these sanctions, because there would be likely very serious consequences for doing so. And again, that's 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 not a normative statement. I'm not telling you like what I think that you know anyone should do here. Just suggesting that that would be the likely outcome if this were to continue.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if I would like to post something on Twitter that publicly challenges the government. Um, right. and, and I, I'm sure he has lawyers who can help him get out of it. But again, I think when I think about, you know, when I think about cases like this, um, um, one thing I've learned about how the public sector works, whether it's in the US or it's in you or other markets, is is um, the regulator, regulators like to pick one of the higher profile cases and and win and make right. it, make, make an, an example out of it. So I think on that basis, yes, like you can you can argue that the regulators want to take offense to you what's know, said here and 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 kind of um uh and make a case out of you know this very big crypto entrepreneur. Uh, but at the same time, I just don't know like to what extent they will react to it.
1: Well, and, let's I mean, be clear. Sam Bankman-Fried essentially said he's going to abide by. I mean, that's my interpretation at least right. of what what I read. Essentially, he said that he 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 believes in the idea of blacklists that the idea that there are certain that there are certain addresses uh persons and entities that are sanctioned if if i was interpreting uh that correctly i think he said uh words to the effect of that you know we prefer blacklists yeah. to whitelists, meaning that you, you don't want to have a situation where you have to be whitelisted to participate but as i understood it as i interpreted it he was being pretty clear saying if there is a blacklist we well, we're going to we're going to abide by those terms so i think it's ex- exactly the opposite he's, he's He's claiming that he would abide by those terms and I think that was why some people in the space were upset because they interpreted that uh, to mean uh, that he supported um that he su- that he supported sanctions uh so I, that that's my understanding that's my interpretation of what I read
2: in that in that, in that case with that in mind i i I, I think this you should probably blow over um I don't I don't see you know severe um Actions either we're coming from.
1: But let me throw one more out. One yeah. more hypothetical out there. What happens when you have, uh, when you have U.S. persons who are not? We're not talking about FTX here. just talking about it more generally. You have U.S. persons who are the directors and officers of a U.S. corporation that is regulated. They're regulated by SEC or OCC or or whatever alphabet soup of regulators mm-hmm. uh, are regulating them, and they're operating a staking pool. They're in. Uh, in Ethereum, for example, and we obviously like we know how important credible neutrality uh, and uh, censorship resistance is in the space. And a transaction comes across that has uh, an OFAC sanctioned blacklisted address. What do they do? Right, That's a significant risk uh, to them to uh, to include that transaction because then they'll have violated OFAC sanctions. Uh, on the other hand, if they exclude that transaction,, mm-hmm. uh, then they're censoring. Uh, and we know that the Ethereum protocol is built now uh, with this uh, with this functionality called slashing, which means uh, you can be economically uh, devastating uh, mm-hmm. to to sanction transactions. And it seems to me that the only option they have is to leave the stake pool. I mean there there's a really sort of significant material, open question about how these issues are going to be handled going forward because of the nature of, of the way the Ethereum protocol functions in staking.
2: And I think that's why you know, we've all read kind of um, reports that like, as the regulations for crypto becomes clear, it's actually going to be better for the industry. I think this is this way described this kind of scenario is, 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 is is one where um, the OFAC regulations and then the SEC regulations come into kind of interactions and, 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 and to be honest, it just often takes so much time for the. Treasury Department and the SEC and other agencies like that in, in that context to sort of um, come together and work out edge cases where the the two oversights kind of overlap. Um, right. There are like I mean, they do work on these things, but it just takes a, a while. I think what's going to have to happen is uh, there's going to be I think a sequence of events of what's going to happen on the on the regulatory front that makes things like this clearer to regulate. First is yeah. is like you know crypto a, a security or not a security? I think that's the central question because then- I think that's the least of their problems. I think that's the least of the problems in the space. Uh, yes and no. No, because that, this question has been lingering for, like, as for, for some time I can remember, so like probably yeah. five, six years ago, right? So this question is actually the most important question because if it is security, it would be regulated by the SEC. If it's not a security, it would be regulated by the CFTC. Right. And so but I, I don't think that like,
1: matters for OFAC compliance.
2: Right, whether well, it, or not it's, it, it it's a matters or, or not, it matters because 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 we're talking whether OPAC is going to work with the SEC or, or the CFTC tool. Right to work with, to figure out whether this overlaps, how, how this got it. works. So you're
1: up. talking about essentially which of the government agencies is going to participate uh, with uh, with Treasury to attempt to build in uh, the sanctions enforcement. I got to bring uh, Nico Bruga back into the conversation. I know he's been sitting on the sidelines as we've been uh, having this. I don't know, Nico, do I, have, do I have like a slight fever here? Is that what's causing this? Because it seems to me like this is the moment of, of maximum tension in the space where we're actually seeing uh, federal law colliding uh, with the ideals of the space. It seems like a moment of uh, significant risk.
0: Absolutely, and so um, before we get into our key takeaways, I'll briefly sort of comment on that. That I think that you know, as we've been discussing since we launched Real Vision Crypto Ash, regulation isn't fun, but it's necessary for the growth of the space, and we're finally getting to that point where. Push is coming to shove, and we're going to all have to sort of accept the middle ground from what our ideals of the space are to where we actually are today. You know, it's the only way that this space will grow. So, with that said, let's get those horns of blaring, the spotlight swinging, because it's time for our key takeaways. So first, we're still very much dealing with the macro environment and its affect on the crypto ecosystem. Indeed, Joe draws a parallel between now and the global financial crisis of 2008 Fiscal policy and monetary policy are all contributing to the macro big picture and consequently affecting crypto. We're living in a world of maximal fiscal policy. Lastly, the regulation around crypto needs to be figured out for crypto to truly grow. This won't be quick or easy, but it is necessary, as we saw with SBF and OFAC in our earlier story. Ash, Joe,
2: anything you guys want to add? Joe, we'll give you the final word it It sounds it sounds very much on point. Uh, but I will say for this asset class, digital 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 assets asset class, that monetary policy and macroeconomics is probably the the bigger contributing factor to that the fiscal policy regulatory policy. I think that's the driver. um and 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 what's keeping me up at night in looking at sort of my asset class and sort of what I do, what I do is when are inflation peaking? When are rates peaking? And when do we return to a more of a normal environment? Because when when the bottom hit in the market is when I think the overall sentiment in our asset class improves, and that's what sort of what I think is the the, the main driver here.
1: Let me just add, uh, Joe and I are both being kept up uh, at night by different things. Uh, my <laughs> guess is my guess is we may both be right uh, about it, which uh, I guess uh, you could say implies a significant headwind to the space, Nico.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Joe and Ash. That's it for today's show. Don't forget to subscribe. Real Vision Crypto is free, but we also have some paid for content. If you're looking for professional grade crypto research, scan that QR code on the screen to find out more. For those of you watching on YouTube, smash everything, the like button, the bell, and subscribe. Tomorrow, we have a great episode lined up for you all about regulation, right on topic. Kathy Craninger, Vice President of Regulatory Affairs at Solidus Labs and former director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, joins us to discuss the state of regulation and how the midterm elections might affect it all here in the US. You don't want to miss it. See you tomorrow at 12 PM Eastern. Live live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing.